and see the rooms full of lots of friends all wanting to catch up. Um, and it's lovely to have you all here today. So welcome uh, to the second part of 154 Forum. My name is Karen Greenberg and I've curated the program this year. It's a great pleasure to have you here. For those of you who have just joined us, we've uh, recently finished a panel <coughs> discussion between Marlene Smith, Evelyn Nicodemus, um, Elvira Diangane Ose, and of course, Nantebeck on Tombella as well. And we were talking about uncovering histories and the important role that women artists have played in art history that has largely been obscured um, and consciously or unconsciously uh, forgotten to some degree. And what we can do as curators, artists, art historians to try and surface those histories. I want to turn our attention to the current moment because in the last panel, uh, one of the speakers said art doesn't exist until it's seen. And I think that's really critical. And of course, we have the opportunity to see Mary Sabanda's art upstairs. And so I welcome you all. <laughs> I welcome you all to go and visit her exhibition. It is extraordinary to have the first uh, solo exhibition of Mary Sabanda's work in the UK. I don't know why it's taken this long, but um, it does look spectacular. And it's very nice to be able to hear Mary talk about her work in person. Um, I just want to introduce our speakers. So we have the artist I'm herself, Mary Sabande, um, but she will be in conversation with Christina Yenne, an old friend who uh, many of you will know from the work that she's been doing over many years in the UK. Christina is an art historian, a critic and curator. She's a research fellow in contemporary art at the University of Central Lancashire where she collaborates on Making Histories Visible, an interdisciplinary visual arts project led by the artist um, Lubaina Himid. Christine <coughs> is also the director of the Fifth Biennale um, Casablanca for 2020. She did the last one as well. So if you would like to see more of her work, you now know where to go. Um, but Christine has a, has a longer kind of history with Mary Sabande in that she contributed to a monograph that was produced in 2014 at the time of Mary winning the Standerbank Young Artists Visual Arts Award, which is a very important acknowledgement in the South African art context of an artist at a pivotal moment in their career. So uh, it's nice to be able to bring that conversation into the current moment um, and extend it a bit. I also wanted to mention that because this program is dedicated to the late uh, curator BC Silver, that Christine has had a long relationship with BC as well, and that she contributed to the catalogue Like a Virgin, which uh, BC uh, organized in 2009. And that catalogue coincided with an exhibition that uh, was, took place at CCA Lagos. So just very quickly to introduce Mary. Um, so <coughs> Mary has become very well known for her alter ego, Sophie, and I'm sure she will talk about that in more detail. But um, she has had a, a lot of recognition in the South African context and is now, uh, I think since your inclusion in the exhibition at the British Museum earlier, has, has become much more known in this country. So. She is currently the 2018-2019 Virginia C. Gildersleeve Professor at Barnard College at Columbia University, which sounds incredibly impressive, so congratulations Thank for that. Thank you. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> and of 
course, she's, she's participated in a number of uh, important exhibitions, including Desire Ideal Narratives in Contemporary South African Art at the 55th, 54th Venice Biennale in 2011, and many other things besides. And we're, we're eagerly anticipating what comes next. Yes. So thank you, Mary and Christine, for being here. And um, I'll pass over to our speakers. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you, Mary. Uh, thank you, everyone, for being here. And thank you, Wanted Tipo, for having us. Um, I thought, um, in the context of this conversation, I thought it would be interesting um, to start from where I left off, or where we left off, um, when um, I wrote this essay uh, for a publication that will be published at, at, at some point, a monograph. Um, and so before I wrote the essay, I wanted to be in conversation with, with you, with Mary. Um, so, uh, yeah, so we'll, we'll start with that. and. Uh, um, so the first time I saw your work, uh, I think it was probably at the uh, Jobo Art Fair in 2000 and... I think it could have been 2009. Nine or something, yeah. Yeah. Um, it really spoke to me because of, uh, you know, the, 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 this uh, black female figure. Um, and, um, and then, you know, this figure, I was seeing it more and more as obviously your career <coughs> progressed and you had more and more exhibition. And so I was um, intrigued by this character, um, Sophie. So I wanted to ask you to begin with, um, because some, I hope some of you have, uh, I hope you all have seen the, the exhibition upstairs. Um, I wanted to ask you, when did you first create um, the figure, uh, persona known as Sophie, your alter ego? And what made you name her Sophie? Um, <clears throat> it was 2000, and I was just right after my undergrad um, at the University of Johannesburg. And um, I think it was two, two, 2008, yes. Mm -hmm. um, <coughs> at that time, I was looking at my personal history. Um, and of course, me looking at my personal history, I wanted to um, go deeper and investigate um, um, into um, the history of uh, South Africa. Um, I looked at um, the women in my family who were all domestic workers. <coughs> and um, I wanted to know like why, how, you know. Um, and um, and um, I lost my train of thought. I'm actually nervous. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, and um, I... Sorry. It's okay. It's okay. <laughs> it Can I ask you something actually? Sure. When you were sure. a student, yeah. Because um, I've I spoke uh, earlier. You had a conversation with Marlene Smith, um, and uh, I've been in conversation with artists here uh, who whose practice emerged in the black art movement in the eighties, and some of them, when they were students, were talking about how. I mean, most of them were addressing. Um, you know, were representing the black body in art or addressing the black situation as, as <coughs> British citizens. And I wanted to ask you, as a student at the time, so obviously it was, in the, you know, it was after apartheid. And I was just wondering if um, addressing these narratives um, mm. in, in the context of the university or art school in, in South Africa, did you find that um, you had to some, so somehow challenge some of the aesthetic canons or forms of representations that you... You were taught maybe at, um, when you were a student? Um, well, it was actually challenging um, bringing a black story into a white university. Yeah. All our lecturers were white. Mm -hmm. um, I remember the, um, 
some student, there was a student um, in my class, um, he wanted to talk about um, spinning cars, um, you know, the donuts that, 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 that guys do in, um, in, in the location where they spin the car around until the tires burst, and they didn't get it. Um, so he actually didn't actually pass his um, project. Um, I was actually fortunate enough because there was just there was one um, lecturer who actually got it, who understood, and um, she introduced me to to Yinka Shonibari's work. And um, and at that time, I was looking at um, I was looking at Juan <coughs> Munoz, mm. and um, I also looked at Kara Walker. So when I introduced my um, my idea that I want to add, um, <coughs> talk about the women in my family who are all domestic workers. Um, she actually um, um, uh, pushed me into, into that direction and she also introduced other artists who actually gave me a visual language, mm. which was actually exciting and, and for me it was kind of strange, like okay, because um, I was talking about me, a black person in, in South Africa. Um, so, um, and that's when I started working um, with um, well, the concept of, of, of Sophie. Mm. Yeah. And so, if I come back to the interview that uh, uh, many years ago, yeah. you were talking about um, Sophie and the you know, the fact that the um, the masters who were who had these domestic workers didn't like they didn't bother calling them by their African names. So can you talk a little bit about that in, in, in your family with your family situation? Um, so my great grandmother, she had two African names, um, and she worked um, for 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 this family, a uh, white family, obviously, and. Um, her masters couldn't be bothered or couldn't just didn't, didn't want to know her name, I guess. Um, so they gave her an, a Western name, Elsie. So she died, she was born with two African names and she, and she died with one um, Western name. So that was on her ID. Um, and I wanted to um, uh, speak about that uh, into my work and that's why I, I, I named the, the character um, um, Sophie. And for me, I always it, it was it's, it's always has been a reminder like the, where the name is coming from, and also um, in South Africa it was compulsory for a black child to have uh, two names, um, a, a Christian name or a Western name and African name. So I felt like it was just this duality as a black child. You always um, have to live in two in two worlds at the same time. Where at home, um, when your mom or your family call you, they call you by your African name, but in, at, at school. Um, you, you, you ha it was a must to have a, a Christian name. Mm. Yeah. And so, um, coming back to your personal history and your um, matrilinear, I can never pronounce this name, yeah. uh, lineage, um, can you talk about how this history translates in your, in your work? For instance, the domestic worker and the, the I mean, the, there's a link with the colors and the sort of story or the underlayer mm -hmm. um, that you want to address, um, because colors have a, a meaning yeah. in, in your, and, and obviously the exhibition upstairs is structured around colors. So can you um, talk a little bit about that, for instance, um, this, I mean, Sophie here is you know, wearing an apron and a scarf, but she also has this sort of Victorian kind of dress, so mm. can you talk a little bit about that? Um, so in 2009, I had, um, my solo show was titled Long Live the Dead Queen. So I was paying homage uh, to my great-grandmother, my mother, and um, um, and my grandmother. 
And um, so how I came about the title was, um, well, it comes from the queen is dead, long live the queen. Um, so well, it explains that um, queens don't die, they live forever. As soon as this one dies, they replace it with another one tomorrow. So that throne is forever occupied. And I took that concept and because um, to me, um, these women were, um, um, they were passing on a baton of servitude from one generation to the next. And then I was um, born in 1982. And of course, from the 80s, South, Africa, South Africa was changing. And eventually, um, in, in 92, um, the fall of apartheid happened. And um, I, 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 didn't, I didn't take over that baton. Um, because um, there was now um, an opportunity for all black women to be educated or mm -hmm. to actually um, forge their own future. Um, so I decided to actually um, dress up and, um, and assume this character. But for me, it's that freedom. Now I, I'm actually choosing to be like them and also be, be me. Um, and um, so this character closes her eyes, she denies reality, she goes into a dream space where anything is possible, um, um, and she aspires to, she, she, she will be what, uh, she aspires to be whatever she wants to do. And her ordinary maid's uniform becomes this um, Victorian uh, uh, garb that um, takes over the whole room. So these dresses in a way are a form of protest because think about if, you, if your domestic or your maid were to actually show up dressed like this, what does it mean? She won't mm -hmm. be able to move around the house. Mm -hmm. So in, in that space, like she is actually um, herself, where, she, where, she's, um, um, where she's aspiring to be whatever she wants to be. And she's <laughs> denying her reality by closing her eyes and she's <laughs> not making contact with, uh, with the viewer. So mm -hmm. the viewer doesn't exist, but she exists, yeah. Mm, that's an interesting strategy for a sculpture because you, I mean, you're making a great use of space and you're invading the, the visitor's space. Mm, so yeah, it's space interesting. is very important in, mm. in, in my work, yeah. yeah. And so thinking about lineage, um, it also involves uh, thinking about time and chronology and your work contain a, an indication of time through the, if I may call it the color code, or the, you know, the, the color, the colors that you use in, you know, um, in your work. Um, so can you talk a little bit about uh, how you structured the, the exhibition and starting with the, the color blue and we have a, a few yeah. um, examples so, of work. So um, the, the, well the current exhibition is kind of like a mini retrospective mm -hmm. Because um, uh, um, I had a we had a, uh, a, a conversation with um, Jonathan, the curator, and um, he suggested well it would actually be great for um, for all the bodies of works to be in the show, um, and that also um, for for someone who has not seen my work it would be a, actually a great introduction and to be actually part of the the, the progression from the blue, the purple, and now the, the, the the red. Mm. Um, so, and in this piece, for instance, um, yeah. we can see this blue and purple. This one here. So this work was um, part of um, the show, um, um, my solo show um, in 2009. 
And um, so in the show, it, it was curated in a way that when, um, when you walk in, you come across, um, let me just go back quickly. You come across this figure, and this figure um, represents um, my great-grandmother. And um, the second figure um, was this, and um, this figure is, um, represents my, um, my, my grandmother. And the title of the work is Sophie Merica. So my grandmother's name is Sophie Merica. And then this, this work is titled Sophie Elsie. That's my great-grandmother's mm -hmm. name. Um, just a detail. And then this work is titled uh, Sophie Velusia. That's my mother's name. Mm -hmm. and, this um, and this sculpture, um, this installation, the, the figure is doing something unlike the other figures where mm -hmm. they are about to do something or they did something. But this one, this um, but with this installation, um, the figure is, um, in a way, if, if ever it, if it was a video, she would actually be meeting um, the image of Madame C.J. Walker. If mm. you can see it over there. Yeah. So Madame C.J. Walker um, was a, a millionaire in the 1920s in America, and she invented um, hair cream relaxer. Mm. So my mom, how she actually broke out of servitude. Um, she got. Um, she she started working at a, hair, a local hair salon in Barberton where I grew up, and um, so I com I compared um, uh, my mother's story and Madame C J Walker's story. That these women who started from from nothing, I, I would mm. say, and they became um, um, entrepreneurs. So my mom um, opened up a small shop, and um, she's a she's a businesswoman. So I compared these two women and um, the, the parallel histories that um, in different continents, but um, they actually are kind of similar. The stories are the same. And um, because, well, Sophie's idea or what Sophie, what Sophie's um, idea is she's, um, whatever she does, it's magical. So she's standing like a few meters away from the, from the wall, but she's actually knitting. So if it was a video, you would see her knit the image of her icon, and that is Madame C.J. Walker. And, oh, and it's um, made out of synthetic hair. Mm. And then the last figure in the show was this one here. Um, this um, is titled Sophie Dombigaise. So Dombigaise is my other name. Um, and I did that in purpose that uh, the other women um, have, the, have their Western names. But when it, come, when it came to the figure that represented me, um, I use my African name, and she's wearing purple, unlike the other figures, uh, mm. they're wearing different tones of blues. So the purple for me, when I was thinking of, I, thinking of color that is actually different from the other women, and, it, and, and of course a special color, I came across um, the color purple um, in the olden days here, actually in England. If um, someone is clergy or, or rich, they wear purple robes. And I remember at some point um, uh, in my youth, I watched um, the the movie, The Color Purple. Um, so it was just, um, it was, so it was me um, highlighting um, color. And of course, when I speak of color, I speak of race. And color has um, actually beca uh, has become a, a pronounced um, um, language in, in my art practice. Mm. You, you also, um, you were also talking about, uh, when you say you, talk about color, you talk about race, but you were also mentioning that the black in, uh, in the sculptures is not just uh, the skin tone, but it's also, you were also referring to um, um, shadows and histories uh, that embedded in your own, you know, on, in your own body. C can you talk a little bit about that? 
Um, so when I was thinking of what 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 um, what color of um, skin tone should um, should we should it be brown or should it be actually natural, mm. um, I thought of um, actually black will make sense in that um, these women at some point they were shadows they didn't actually exist um, they were just um, a ba background color and um, and I thought well it would actually make sense if 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 I take that same visual language and and bring it into my work. Mm. So it just speaks about um, shadows and these women and, and and these bodies or these black black female bodies not existing in 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 history. Mm. Um, you also have work where um, maybe I mean you have images of yeah. uh, um, figures in khaki, green. The green. Oh, yeah. we'll fast forward. <laughs> The end. <laughs> yes, it starts yeah. here. <laughs> yeah. So this, this, uh, th th that, that body of work uh, was influenced um, by this image of my mm -hmm. father. So my father, I think, yeah, he was twenty. I think he was twenty-two. He was in the army, which is um, he was he was working for the apartheid army army police and which was also it was actually problematic but for him I think it wasn't about um, it was about ha having a job which is was mm. which um, was one of the few available um, I would say careers for black men it was either um, a, a, a minor mm. or a soldier or a gardener um, so there were just a, a few um, um, jobs that were available for for, for black men so he was um, he was in the army. So um, at some uh, he actually disappeared from our lives. Um, he um, the, my mom and him were divorced when I was about three years old, and I didn't know him all my life until I was about sixteen. Um, so how I knew of him was a few photographs that mm -hmm. my mom had, and this was one of the photographs. So in my head, um, I imagined him as a, as a child. I imagined him as a tall um, soldier. Because that's what I was told by my grandmother. Like, oh, your dad is is a giant. He's tall. Mm -hmm. um, so that's how I that's how I envision him. And um, and at some point in my work, I thought, well, I've, I've been I've been looking at women in my family. How about I look at my father and mm -hmm. an absent father, an absent masculinity. But and 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 I remember in my teenagers, I was very angry at him for leaving us. Um, but. Um, I think somewhere in my third year, I forgave him because I understood he had he did not have a choice mm. as um, as a black man. He had he had to um, he had to leave, and of course that was me traveling. Was this was influenced by traveling and also reading um, on reading on 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 on, on reading um, about South Africa and our history. Mm. Yeah. And okay, there's another khaki uh, fabric. That yeah. is found in your work, um, referring to the church. Yeah. So I think uh, this is one. This one will come back to it. This one here. Yeah. Um, so in South Africa, we have these churches called the Zionist churches. Mm. Um, so the Zionist, the Zionist churches are a hybrid church. It's a, well, it's a hybrid church. And um, it's a combination of um, Western Christianity and African beliefs. 
So there are a few church members, I think, from if, uh, if you believe in voodoo, because remember, Christianity and voodoo, it's, it's mm. either or, so you have to choose one. Mm. Um, so there is that connection. And um, so this work, um, I was looking at uh, one particular church, the ZCC. And um, so they usually do this, um, um, uh, what do you call it, action of jumping, but it's only done by men. Mm. So they jump, and this jumping is, um, it, it, they, they are jumping to the heavens. So it's a step away from the heaven, I guess. Um, but yeah, I want so Sophie's doing that action where she, which she is breaking boundaries and she's not following the rules mm -hmm. and she's following her rules and she's jumping on a, on a, on a pedestal. Um, if we go back to your aesthetics and your creative process, your work involves photography and sculpture. And yes. just earlier we were talking about how, you know, as as even me as a member of, uh, I mean, I know your work um, a little bit more, a little yeah. bit better. But um, there's always this confusion as to, you know, what is a photography, what is a, 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 a sculpture, and mm. also just, I mean, in this context, we, everything is a is a photograph. I mean, yeah. Um, so can you talk about how you go about choosing what is, you know, where you're going to perform uh, and, you know, what work you're going to create as a, yeah. as a photograph and, and, and sculpture? I guess, it, yeah, it, well, it depends on the idea. For example, this work right here, I, this was 2008 and it was actually the <coughs> first work that I, that I made before my shows. This is the work that I actually took, um, took it to the gallery that I've been working with. Mm -hmm. And um, they're like, oh yeah, we love what you do. Um, so I introduced this um, this work to, to, to the gallery owner and we started working together and I had a solo show the following year. Um, I think it, it depends on what idea it is. Like for example, yeah, I thought it would actually be, make sense for me to dress up and perform this idea and pretend the meeting. Mm -hmm. um, and also here, um, and also I think it, it, it's it's also part of um, animating the, the 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 what do you call it, the props, mm -hmm. um, like the giant flower. And then here I was looking at her her in the black community, and um, it made sense not not for this work to be a sculpture, but to be a photograph where I actually perform the idea. Um, so it's just it. I, I guess it just um, it depends on uh, on what will actually make sense or what will actually um, visually what will actually um, look better in whether it's a photograph or me performing or will be um, a sculpture. Mm -hmm. And um, so you mentioned earlier um, uh, Juan Munoz, Kara Walker, and Yinka Shonibare, and can you? Tell a little bit more about how these artists have been um, inspiring to you in, in occupying the space and mm -hmm. creating those those figures, those, those sculptures. Um, Juan Munoz, <laughs> I guess I he gave me an idea of a, a visual language of of of, of um, making uh, sculptural work, life size figures, and then um, I looked at Yinka Shonibari, the way he designs. Um, his, um, his clothing on, on his sculptures. I looked at Kara Walker's um, concept um, um, in, well, in, um, with regards to um, the black, black woman in the South. 
and also the black skin. So I borrowed, I borrowed that visual language from Kara Walker. So I think as, as, a, as, a, as a visual artist, especially in the 21st century, whatever you think of, it's already, it has been done. Um, there's, you can't say this, we can, we're not inventing anything, we're not inventing the wheel. Um, so it's just about um, um, borrowing a, a, a button over here, a stitch over there, um, an action over there, and you just make something new. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, and um, so your practice is clearly ins inscribed within, uh, I mean, for me it's fair to say that it's inscribed within um, sort of feminist practice, can I, can yeah. I say that? Um, and when, you, when one thinks about uh, feminism in terms of aesthetic, um, you know, the body, the representation of the body, nudity is something that is quite frequent, frequent and is uh, mm. sort of, it was radical in the let's say in the seventies, but yeah. like in in the context of South Africa, it's something that you know that that has been uh, visually present. Um, I'm thinking, for instance, uh, the first time I went to South Africa actually in ninety seven yeah. um, for the first, second Johannesburg Biennial. Um, I remember there was Tra Tracy Rose's. Um, I think that was at the South African National Gallery in Cape Town. Yeah. Um, the Biennial was in Johannesburg and Cape Town, and her work. So that was ninety seven. 10, 11 years before you, you started uh, practicing yeah. professionally. Um, so the work was, you know, radical in that, you know, it showed nudity and it referred to labor and, you know, uh, from a, a female perspective. Uh, but your approach, which is, um, you know, also very, very potent and, you know, there's, there's a, a strong presence, a, 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 a strong black female presence, but it's interesting that you're, there's no nudity and you're managing to address um, difficult issues and uh, providing a space for women, I mean, obviously mm. symbolized by, by Sophie, yeah. um, without using nudity. So can you talk a, a little about that, uh, about your, your, your strategy and how you, know, how you see, because you were talking about um, seeing the fabric as part of the body. Yeah. Um, I think for me, um, that was, I have thought of that was um, looking at history books and art books. Um, there's a lot of nudity. And uh, I made this decision from, 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 from earlier on in my career that I, it, didn't make, it doesn't make sense for me to actually perform naked because I, um, I don't see how. And, and also it's not about... Because there's, there's, there's also, for me, there's also a danger in, in the body being sexualized mm. um, if, if the body's naked. Um, doesn't mean that if it's clothed, it's not sexualized either. Um, but for me, it was just, um, just uh, uh, bringing dignity because this black body has been working for centuries mm. um, and has been abused for centuries. And I didn't want um, to actually um, continue that abuse um, so now it's, uh, it's self-inflicting abuse. Mm. Um, so it was actually very important to actually dress the figures, and um, and and just you know um, I would say yeah, just put dignity in it. Not that um, other artists who have performed or are performing naked, there's something or there's something wrong with it. There's nothing wrong. It's just it was just a, it was a personal decision mm. not to do that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so this brings us back to fabric and you know, the, the dresses. So um, can you sort of, can you describe your creative process in terms of, uh, you know, creating those dresses mm -hmm. um, and the, 
discuss the aesthetic of this Victorian yeah dresses mm. um, I, I, I I always had this love of fashion of love of fabric and um, at some point I wanted to study fashion and and of course one you well, one can pick that up um, but actually uh, uh, fabric is very important in my work or, or plays an important role um, and and I, and I thought, well, it would actually be amazing to have these big dresses where they fill up um, um, a, a room and um, <coughs> where the dress is actually the work but not the body. So it's, at, at, at some point, the, 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 the body actually is just um, is, is housing, but, not, um, but, the, but, but what, what's more important is, um, is, is, is the garment. So that's why these garments are actually big. So this work right here, from where it starts up mm. to the end, is about ten meters. So just about exploring um, and and also flexing my love of fashion, I guess. And also, it's just it's fashion that is um, combined with um, with fine art. So it's mm. not really what you will see on the runway. Mm. It's um, it's on it's, it's on it's on another, I guess, another parallel fashion world. And so. But can you talk about how you work? Um, do you work with um, assistants and mm -hmm. where do you source your material? Mm -hmm. Well, depending on what the idea is, um, but I've been working with, um, with well, uh, a few seamstresses mm -hmm. and um, this work here, uh, I worked with um, fine art students, so depending on, uh, on what, yeah, of course, what the idea is. And um, so here I went to UJ, or actually I, I think I sent an email. And um, so there was this um, student um, who used to study at UJ and then she called her friends, um, fine art um, students to uh, um, assist in, 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 make, in the making of this work. Mm. So it's, it, it depends, sometimes I work with a sculptor to make um, the figures mm. or a seamstress to make the, 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 the dresses or students to assist in um, in 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 the art uh, in the art making. Mm. So um, and also if it's students, it, it's usually uh, it's more exciting because it's more it's more we like mentor and, and mentee yeah. kind of relationship. Yeah. Um, and you, it's usually you sort of, um, uh, training them in a way of yeah, like, yeah. Like, uh, building a legacy or you know. Yeah, and I think yeah. for me that's um, that's it, it's it's always important when you walk into a room, don't close the door, just yeah. open it for everyone to come in. Yeah. Um, and so you mentioned it a little bit earlier that you, you, in addition to the materiality of the work, you adding props in the, in, in your work. So yeah. some of these are photographs. Yeah. Uh, um, and ca can you talk about how? Um, I mean, how do you decide to use props? And also, there's something that we see in the in your latest work where there's, um, you know, when we're facing a, a the, some of the photographs and there's the we're inside and outside at the same time. Yeah. Uh, so okay, we can start. Okay, this piece. Yeah. Mm. Um. So uh, so what what I usually do, um, I think like a sculptor when mm. I make these photographs, I you actually have to have the uh, the 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 object in the space. Like here, um, I, these dogs are actually they life size. And they in different. Um, they have different stunts. Some of them are running. Some of them are leaping. Some of them are um, about to was standing. And um, so, in a way, like me being in the space with these objects, I'm animating them. 
And of course, when you take a picture, it's, it, it, um, it almost feels, feels like you caught the, 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 the action in mid-air. Mm -hmm. So if, um, if it was a video, they would continue and um, run off of, of, of the format. And so, I mean, maybe you can, we can talk about this. So that's one of the work that's exhibited uh, in the, the gallery. Um, I'm interested in, the, in your, your narratives, the stories that you tell in, in your work. Uh, and so maybe you can talk about this one, and I'd love to talk about the, um, the Purple Shark Garden. Yeah. Uh, uh, so can you tell sure. about, you know, this talk about the scene in the... This one here. Yeah. Um, so here I was seven months pregnant, and I guess I was anxious. Um, well, I was also addicted to watching the news, and I think that got me down. It's like, well, the world is actually not a good place to bring a child. Mm -hmm. And um, in a way, so I thought, well, what happened in a, in a perfect world, one can actually fix everything. Um, so these dogs are actually fixers. So this figure is sending them off to go fix before the coming of the child. Mm. But they have, they're very, um, the sort of aggressive sort of look. Mm. So this, so in Isuzulu, um, I guess when one is pregnant, you're highly emotional. Mm -hmm. And um, there was just one emotion that I looked at, and, um, and that was anger. Mm. And the reason for that is, me, while I was watching the news, people were protesting and burning down buildings. And it's like, why are South Africans acting like this? Are they angry? What, what is mm. this? But in a, in actually, it makes sense. Um, so in 1976, um, during the uh, student uprising, um, uh, some, 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 of, some of the students were captured and tortured and killed. And some of them managed to actually escape to neighboring countries. And, uh, so, and some of them uh, went to the MK um, soldiers outside the country. So the MK was Umkontoresiv, it means spear of the nation. So these guys were training outside, and the idea was they're going to train and come back and fight for South Africa. So that's how they actually got an, a, a huge number of, of young people. So these people, so the soldiers were training, and then Mandela came out of jail, and Mandela said, no, let there be peace. So these guys were training for years, so they didn't know what to do with the skills that they, mm. that they, that they had. And I think um, that's where this, this anger started from. In a way, no one wants a, a civil war, but sometimes it just, it, it, it's, it's like when, when, when the rain, um, when the skies are gathering um, clouds, like mm. the angry clouds, eventually it should rain, right? Mm. But it never rains. Mm. So this anger is just ling lingering. And I think for me, uh, that's where that's where we that's where we stuck. Mm. Um, and of course, this was ninety something. And but our, our chances are the people who are burning these buildings down are younger. And I always say that the body remembers um, for generations. Mm. And then I think that's where we stuck. That mm. this, this, this should be a, a point of the pressure is still boiling. Um, it should be a, mm. a, and a big let out. I mean, when you're saying that it. It makes me think of the TRC, the Truth and Reconciliation Com um, Committee. Commission. Yeah, which was also very confusing um, yeah, for a lot of which, people. Which I think in, in the end, the fact that um, a lot of uh, perpetrators of, of violence had uh, amnesty was, mm. was sort of a... So, uh, the TRC was actually not for the victim, but it was for the victimizer. Mm. Yeah, 
and the whole story, where the whole um, purpose of it was to let the families know what happened to their family members. Because mm -hmm. some of them to this day, they don't know what happened to their family members. But it wasn't structured in that way. And um, and that was, uh, it was supposed to, it was supposed to work as a big uh, therapy session, but it never worked. Mm -hmm. And I think that's where we are stuck, that these mm -hmm. angers just keep on boiling and boiling. And I'm sure you guys are aware of what, what has been happening the last three weeks. Yeah. And, and, and I think for me, it speaks of that. Mm. And um, so when I was thinking of this one emotion that, that, I, that I was looking at, um, it was anger. And I thought, how do I actually um, 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 show anger visually without going, oh, I'm angry, or a person, or, or my, face, uh, my face documented in, a, in an angry way. I thought of these dogs, because in Isizulu, which is one of the languages um, spoken in South Africa, uh, when one is angry, they're angry, they've become a red dog. Mm. And also continues and explains that um, uh, anger is animalistic. So when you're angry, you don't think straight. Mm. Uh, you think like an animal. Um, <laughs> you think you see red, which is also parallel to to, to Western um, expressions. Mm. Um, and these dogs are, are Staffordshire, Staffordshire Bull Terriers, uh, which are domestic dogs. But these are they they they've actually um, not your normal dogs anymore. They are hellhounds. They stiff, the, everything is ex ex exaggerated, the body, the teeth, um, the claws. Um, so for me, it's just that the anger is just actually uh, um, reaching a boiling point to a point where it will actually burst at the seams. Mm. So if we talk about the red, the red is, uh, is the color that stands out in the latest work. Yeah. Um, and so maybe for the audience to, to understand um, so your your practice or your body of work is divided into these, these different colors. So the blue <coughs> you were saying was referring to um, apartheid. Yeah. Um, you go to it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, the purple, maybe we can go uh, to the purple. Yeah. Go to the purple. Because I think it's a really interesting story about the 1989 um, <coughs> demonstrations and yeah. people being sprayed with. Uh, uh, we can start. Yeah. Um, so the, the, this body of work is, um, it's about protest. So th the work, the, the, the exhibition upstairs is divided into three. The rise of apartheid will be the, 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 the blue body of work. Mm -hmm. um, the fall of apartheid will be the, the purple body of work. And the red uh, body of work will be the legacy of apartheid. Um, so the purple, um, um, speaks of the, the body protesting, going against what has been given to it for centuries. And, um, but there was one protest that I actually re was referring to in the, in the earliest um, part of, the, of that series, was in 1989 in Cape Town, people were marching against apartheid. And uh, the apartheid um, uh, uh, police uh, laced their water cannons with um, purple dye. So it's the idea of marking. And marking has been happening for centuries or for years during apartheid. And uh, so, so people were arrested afterwards because um, it's actually difficult to, um, to remove um, purple dye on the skin. So this work speaks of that where it's, it's about protesting, it's, it's about going what, um, what has been um, the, uh, a protocol or the norm in the country or whatever.
And so the other um, elements around, um, so I remember when we were um, exchanging, so that I think it was 2013. Yeah. Uh, you were beginning to explore the concept of rhizomes uh, by Gattari and yeah, others. Rhizome, yeah, rhizome, yeah. So can you talk a little bit about that? And there's this yeah. piece that... Um, so this, yeah, it's, it's actually, I was, um, I was thinking of this work. I was um, invited by Museum Ekbal, um, so I did a residency there for three, three months. And part of the residency uh, was me making a work and then exhibit um, the work um, at the end of the, of, of the, of the um, residency. Um, so I was asked, about the, uh, was asked um, by the museum if I want to work with fashion students as assist or to assist in, ma in the making of the work or, uh, or textile um, 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 students. Mm -hmm. And I said textile, because for me, it was, I, I didn't want to make a typical dress because I'd been making dresses. Um, I wanted to explore textile. What other forms can actually fabric make? So this work is actually every all, all these roots or these vine-like um, um, objects are made out of uh, fabric and synthetic uh, fiber fields. Um, and at the time, I was looking at uh, Deleuze on the on the rhizome and how it actually relates to life, um, where, where one if if one were to actually plant a, a tree, the the the, the roots will actually go for a few meters and then pop on the other side. Mm -hmm. And make another tree, so it's just it's 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 about this orga uh, this organic life and in comparison with um with um with real life I guess. So imagine if this was a video, um, this uh, if one vine will actually come out of the because everything is starting at the mm -hmm. belly there. One vine mm -hmm. will come out of the belly and then colonize the whole body, and from colonizing the whole body, it goes off to the wall to find another body. Mm -hmm. So it's about colonizing one. Um, one place um, to the next. And so talking about uh, this kind of expansion, I want to um, maybe talk about your experience of having your work in a, uh, so this is within a gallery space, but having your work in, in public space, in a big building. So yeah. I think it was um, the Jobo uh, City yeah. exhibition in 2010, where you had a um, work in. Um, actually, that was actually an amazing project. Mm. Um, so that was during the uh, World Cup football, and um, so FIFA um, they didn't uh, uh, they didn't want any advertising. Um, I think about five kilometers from all the stadiums, and also the city of Johannesburg and um, and uh, uh, um, AWW, which is an art um, consultant. They came they came up with an idea that what happens if we just um, if it's um, 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 artworks on the building, but not um, not any brands, so they um, they approached me and they told me about this idea, and um, so it was actually uh, amazing in that a lot of people in South Africa, I would say the black community, they don't go to they don't go to galleries because mm. it's in the suburbs or it's in the north where um, where um, I would say uh, rich people live. <laughs> Um, it's usually um, so galleries are all, all usually on that uh, on that part uh, in that part of town. Um, so usually in the CBD, the town, the, the center of the town, it's usually like um, 
is usually occupied by uh, black people. Mm. Um, so it was the, for me, I had this idea that it would be actually amazing to take the gallery from the north and bring, bring it to the people. So people didn't, don't actually have to travel to, to, the other, to other spaces to see um, art, artworks. Mm. Um, so while they actually walking about or going to work or to the next stop, um, there's an exhibition in, on, 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 on the buildings. Mm. Yeah. And do you, do you have a sense, I know sometimes it's difficult when you do art projects to have a sense of how the work is received by the audience. Yeah. Do you have a sense that um, it has sort of had an, an impact in, in a way, um, maybe by women, uh, and, or do you, I don't know, do, do, you, do you have a sense of how the work was received? Um. Because it's, I know by 2010, was yeah. uh, there were already other kind of images than, you know, sort of... Uh, I think, oh yeah, I got a lot of feedback via Facebook. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. and a lot of people was like, oh my God, this, is, this an, is this an advert? Because there was no name. It was mm -hmm. just an image, um, and, and that was it. And I think for me that was, that was very important, not to have a name, but people just looking at um, the images on the wall. Mm -hmm. um, but as, 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 as a creative, one doesn't actually have, um, you cannot dictate on how people should feel. Yeah. People can feel whatever they feel, mm. whether they don't like the image, that's fine. Mm. Um, uh, or they, they or they love the image, it's just always amazing. But it's just, um, as, 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 as a creative, you just put the work out there and then just let people feel whatever they want to feel. Mm. Yeah. So I think I should uh, open the floor to you. Yeah. yeah, so thank you, Mary. And um, you. so we'd love to hear your questions if you have uh, any question. Uh, hi. Uh, hi, thank you so much, Mary, uh, for sharing uh, your work and stuff. Um, I'm one of your biggest fans, as you know, and I really love and respect your work. And um, what I love, as a woman, you asked something about how do women receive Mary's work. For me, just her explaining without that I've seen it and I've, I try and go to as much as um, exhibitions where she is, uh, as much as I can, so I can be able to learn something new and gain something as a woman who lives in South Africa. Today you touch on um, how women are viewed um, and, uh, and how women are sexualized and how that define us with our clothing and more especially right now in South Africa, we're in love with, with gender-based violence and the rape and the killing of the women and children. And that, like you said, sometimes got nothing to do with the clothing. It doesn't matter how clothed or how old you are. You see getting raped as a woman, you're seen as being a woman. But also, um, at the same time, the dignity that you brought to domestic workers, because domestic workers at home is like most our mothers, that's what we all see, but we couldn't see inside the white people because they build these big walls and whatever, and they always wear like rugged old overalls and with holes and whatever, and that beauty, it brought so much respect and dignity and that even if you are, uh, as a woman, a uh, domestic worker, you're still powerful and you bring something to the table, so thank you for that. And also, as uh, I wrote down um, something about um, the absence of fathers in our lives. Because um, in South Africa, like Mary said, the apartheid government, they took all the fathers from the southern parts of Africa to go dig for the gold and the diamonds that they never wore. 
and then they broke families because they were not allowed to go back home. So we carry this bitterness all over, but then we forget about the colonization and all that brought that to them. Also, they're protecting themselves, but at the same time, how it affects us. And I really, really appreciate that. And also how it destroys our soul. So that, when you carry that around, and then you brought in the anger mm -hmm. and the violence that uh, is happening uh, in our country now, and um, the motherhood, when you talk about the pregnancy and the motherhood <laughs> and the anger, because yeah. people don't really want to be honest about the emotions that you feel when you go to stages and women, because then at work you're going to be seen as weak. You yeah. have your period, you're weak, you don't want to be sharing that stuff, so that's really encouraging. And also, <coughs> yeah, the history of apartheid and the color, the use of color in your work, because South Africa is all about skin color. It's all about race. If I talk about somebody, I say, yeah, I went on a date uh, with this woman. She's white, you know, or yeah. you were on a date with this woman, or she's black, or whatever it is. It's so important. Color there is made such a big thing because it what has made the country what it is. And when you look at our history, how that destroyed, and now we're using that even to build uh, our country. And um, yeah, and the textile, when you touch on the textile and factory workers, because also colonization and apartheid, women are in factories and all that. So thank you, Mary. This is just a comment, no question. Thank you so much. <laughs> <laughs> I was supposed to wait for the question. <laughs> I salute. really a privilege to listen to you talk about your work today. Um, one of the things I think about your work is that, that the movement and the action within the work is so powerful. Have you thought about doing animation or do you think it's more powerful in the kind of stillness of the work that you produce? Um, actually, I've been a, a bit reluctant into, into making videos. Um, and because for me, uh, when one looks at Say, let's just find a, a photograph of, yeah, um, for example, I think you, uh, you as the viewer, you always have the moving image in your head, so you participate into, in, into moving or um, animating um, um, the stills um, on the wall. And I think it's, it's, it's a way of making the view participate instead of just giving. You also have to be part of the work. Um, so that was also uh, very important for me. But what I, um, and I think that what, what I did last year was VR. So um, there's a new gallery in South Africa. They actually specialize in uh, VR. So they act, it's, um, they've done a few um, projects. Um, and um, so when they approached me, it's like, well, um, would you work with us and um, to in, in, in making a, a, a VR video? It's like mm, I was a bit reluctant. Um, but but the thing is with VR, you a video you are only given one um, one view unless the director decides to um, move the camera. But with VR, you actually participate in that. You have to look what what's around you while you are standing. Um, in, in, in one position. So for me, that was actually great and it was amazing and was also an experiment. And for the first time, that's when I made um, a, a moving image. Yeah. 
No, it's an interesting question because uh, when I was visiting the exhibition with Mary, I was saying, oh, you should do like a performance uh, yeah. with the, all the dressers yeah. or have, you know, participants who do yeah. performance. Yeah, 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 yeah. Hi, Mary. Hi. Another South African here. Um, you spoke about religion in terms of the the Zionist khaki, but when you look at a lot of the the women there, they're actually in uniform. Um, and the reds and the purples and the dark blue in the context of established religion in South Africa is also the colors that um, uniformed women would wear. And I wonder if there's anything around an extension of protest from just the type of work or where women worked, but also in terms of where religion wanted women to be and continues to want women to be. And I ask because this image has got a stained glass which could traditionally be viewed as, as religious. This, yeah. I think for me, um, I was, I, I, I also, I, I created um, this, um, another character within the character. So it's a dream within a dream within a dream. Um, that's Inception. Um, so usually before I change into an, an, an the, 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 the next body of work, I usually create, or I um, there will be a a, a a a high priestess. So the priestess is the person who will, in a way, will go sess out the next body of work, and um, she is the person that um, will be sent. <laughs> sounds crazy to um, <laughs> to view or to assess um, uh, the land. And um, I usually use her as a bridge. Um, so there's one work, um, let's quickly go to it, uh, purple. Uh, uh, this one here. So she is, this is the, the, the high priestess. Um, she's reading uh, the tarot cards, so she's about to throw them in the air. And then that's how, um, um, that's how she can actually, she's um, predicting the future. At some point I was uh, I'm obsessed about knowing um, the future. And also I think it comes from anxiety. When you know that your future, in the future you'll be okay, um, then you know it means that the pre you, you'll be okay in the present. So this, um, this is the character that, um, that I yeah, usually use as a bridge and then she predicts the future. And then I, yeah, and then um, she'll be the, 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 the character that will read on what I actually need to do. It's sort of like um, divine healers and um, tarot card uh, readers. You know, imagine combining um, those, both world, those, those two worlds and just making uh, um, a hyper, uh, how would I say it? A hyper, a hyper high priestess. Yeah. On that, I think, I think, uh, thank you, Mary, and um, <laughs> I think on that we can close um, yeah. the conversation. Thank you.
and uh, to Christine for being so incredibly well prepared and professional. Thank you, Thank you and Mary for sharing so many insights into your work. You. Uh, that draws today to close. Please join us over the next coming three days. There are some leaflets at the back that tells you what's coming up and the speakers and uh, it's going to be as good as this one. So please come back. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you.